Welcome back, Rabbi. Dr. Eliezer brought as we continue strong, moving forward, season two of the Svarim and Ruchaim Kanyevsky. We've been focusing on new manuscripts of Rishainim, how different Gedolim have gone about using them throughout the generations. We've spoken about the Chazanish. We've spoken about versus Amin Meltzer and the Ramban. We've spoken about Arzurua, Meiri, a lot of fascinating material. We ended off last time discussing the Chassam Seifer and the Ramban. And we're going to pick up from over here. But before we start, let me just mention that this season has been dedicated in memory of Moshe Chaim Ben Yitzchak David. His neshama shall have an aliyah. And if there are requests for other episodes on other topics, please reach out to myself or Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brutt. Any questions, any comments, requests on material, feel free to reach out as well. Okay, so why don't you pick up from where you left off, maybe just recap a little bit, and and we'll uh, forge on. Okay, so basically, the first two episodes of the season we've been dealing with is, is something that we see very strongly in Rukhan Kanievsky in his Derech Amuna, but in all his Svarim, how he's using everything available that he could get his hands on, so to speak, every Rishon, new Rishonim, and Ga'inim, and he's using them for his work. He's using it in Derech Amuna, he's using it in his, in, for example, Kiryas Melech, and many in his other Svarim. And the question was, is that if Rukhan Kanievsky is so... Um, looks at himself as the way I built up in season one, as one of the Talmidim, main Talmidim of the Chazanish, and he goes so much with the Chazanish, it's interesting that th- what became known as a famous sheet of the Chazanish, which we will discuss at great length, um, one of the future episodes, is that the Chazanish is not into using new Rishayinim, um, such as Rabbi Nechananel, there's some quotes, and there's other, many other quotes, and we'll, we'll see the story with that. So how is it that, that Rechaim Knievsky does such a thing? So we showed that one of the Svarim that had a big impact in a lot of different ways, which we mentioned the previous season and this season also, is the Mishnah Brewer. The Mishnah Brewer was very into using the Svarim um, that was just printed, as he constantly writes, Hanitbas Michadash, for manuscript. We even mentioned him having a manuscript of the Meiri. And in general, the Mishnah Brewer is was very proud. He meant, he stresses this, how he learned all the Rishonim, and he has a lot of Rishonim. And this is where I said, where Chaim Kineski L'Chaira got it from there. So in the first two episodes of this season, we gave different examples. We discussed about the Arzarua, we discussed the Meiri, we discussed Rabbeinu Hananel, um, we also discussed the Sefer Yashar of Rabbeinu Tam, that these were all works that were printed somewhere in the 1800s and onwards. And then we concluded um, last week, an episode, in the episode, we started talking about, we spoke about the Natsiv and the Shultis, which brought us to the 1860s. And then we got back to the 1920s when Rabbi Sezal Meltzer prints the Ramban. Now, Ramban had been printed before, but some of the Masechtas that he printed were never printed before. And we, we spoke about how Rabbi Sezal Meltzer um, shows that he that if people would have had the Ramban, it would have changed different, possibly would have changed their opinions in certain situations. We spoke about a, Ram, a Gra, famous Gra about Rish Chaydish. And in, in this topic, we quoted the Chsam Seifer. The Chsam Seifer um, had a sharp remark about the Gra. It was basically the Gra wanted to follow in Hilchas Kriya Satayra of Rish Chaydish, which um, how you do the Seder of, of, of Laning. So the Chassam Seifer basically said the Gra Kedarkai changes the Masechta Seifer. Okay. 
Now, Rabbi Sezal Meltzer refers you that both the Grah and the Chsam Seifer appears to not have had the Ramban. So the question is, what about the Chsam Seifer? Let's discuss for just two, three minutes. What's the story? Did the Chsam, what was the Chsam Seifer's attitude to all this, the new Rishayim being printed in, in, his, in his lifetime? So last week we quoted that the Sefer Yashar from Rabbeinu Tam for the first time ever comes out with a, a beautiful Askama from who? The Chsam Seifer. Okay, so Askama is one thing, but does, do we see the Chsam Seifer using it? So interestingly enough, Shlem Zalman Hevlin quotes a, a beautiful Chuvas Chsam Seifer, in where he has three Chuvas devoted to Agunas in Ebenezer, Simenun Aleph, Nun Beis, Nun Gimel. Now the significance is it's not like Stama Chuva learning, it's, this is Aguna Shaila. And in there, it plays out is a Shitas Rabbeinu Tam. Not only is it play out a Shitas Rabbeinu Tam, of Rabbeinu Tam specifically, we're in Sefer HaYashar. Interestingly enough, this says the Chsam Seifer, now that we are Zaycha to have this print, it changes. We see that the people beforehand, Taisis, the Rush, the Mordechai, they had different Eskais, they didn't have a proper. If they would have seen this Rabbeinu Tam, says the Chsam Seifer, it's very likely they would have passed him differently. Um, and they would not have argued. He says, and he says, we were Zaycha, and he got him at Sasi, Dasi, Yadis, Seifer, Yashar, Rabbeinu Tam. But then he does say, So he wants someone else to paskin a tamachachem baki by ra. Now, the reason is, is this is very commonly found in Aguna Shailas. Most Rabbanim did not like to just paskin themselves in Aguna Shaila, even the Chsam Seifer, who had no problems paskining. This is specifically Aguna Shaila. But what we're seeing over here is he's willing to use and to argue and reshine him based on using a Sefer Yashar that was just published from someone in Pressburg that he knew well. So this is one Maramakam with the Chsam Seifer. Okay. Now, Another Maramakam about the Chsam Seifer was recently, there's um, one a way to get interesting int- information of all kinds is through is through auction house, auctions, Svarim auctions. Auctions happen, um, Svarim auctions, manuscripts are auctioned off a few times a year, actually these days many times a year, and sometimes when you browse through these catalogs, you can pick up all types of information. One time in recent, maybe less than a year ago, I see is that they're auctioning off a Chsam Seifer's Gemara, and on the side, basically, the Chiddush was, there was a cryptic printed Haggah of the Chsam Seifer, but based on the manuscript of the Gemara of the Chsam Seifer, which was being sold for a crazy sum of money. Um, I did not have a chance to check up how much it was, but it was sure it was a sum of money. I don't remember how much it was sold for, Lamaisa. But bottom line is, it said clearly in this Haggah, the Ksavyad of the Taisis Rosh Amsachim that he had. Okay, that's great. So we see the Chsam Seifer was using manuscripts even. Not only public, the Sefer Yasha was published in his lifetime by someone he knew was using, he even had some manuscripts. Looking at my notes, I came across that one of the experts on the Chsam Seifer um, has a list of some other places of Chsam Seifer about it. So um, recently I wanted, I was curious if there's more sources for this. I reached out to the, one of the world's greatest experts on the Chsam Seifer. That's Binyamin Hamburger from Bnei Brak, from Mahoma Reshes Ashkenaz. He's written a lot on the Chsam Seifer and worked for years on the Chsam Seifer. And he sent me a nice list of a few other places where we see clearly that the Chsam Seifer sometimes even had a manuscript or he's using the manuscript. Okay, I would say um, um, 10, 12 places. Okay, this is with the Chsam Seifer. So here what we're seeing is the Chsam Seifer, who's legendary for being a chadash, whatever that even means, but he was using it. He embraces these these new materials, uses them. We've quoted other stuff from him in in the past two episodes relating to this also. So Arkan with the Chsam Seifer, this is our number one for today. So for those who really, really worked through these shiurim and episodes well, may recall that when we were learning the Seches Yavamis, 
we did an episode on the Aruch Liner. And in that episode, there was discussion about the Aruch Liner and his manuscripts. So perhaps um, remind those who may not remember exactly or recall exactly what you said. And perhaps you have something new to add for this episode. Yeah, so so just to recap from then, and, and the significance of mentioning here is not to just um, um, uh, promote previous materials. It's also more because it really is part of the story. Part of the story that we're trying to see is, is, is this, is the Mishnah Brura, who we said was so into doing this, is this a Das Yachid, or were, was it common? And more and more, we're starting to see, as the picture is emerging, that it was more and more common than people might have thought. Um, so now, with the Archlaner, this is a significant part of the story. The Archlaner is 1798 is when he's born. He dies in 1871. He's prolific, as we we, we discussed by Richos in, this, in the sheer devoted him. One of the things that we found, um, we discussed, is a journal that he, that he was the head of, for about 10 years, from the 1840s till the late 1850s, called Scheimerzin and Emon. It was published in German and in English. And in there, when you start turning through the pages, besides all the halachic tumbles that are happening, there's tons of new things being dis- printed there for the first time. Manuscripts, manuscripts of Ga'inim, manuscripts of the Gemara, and they're being discussed and handled. And this is all under his, he was the, one, the main person behind this. Not only that, we'll, we'll, we'll be discussing more at length about this, but the Dikduke Seifrim, one of the main people behind the project, that, which was about manuscripts of the Gemara, was Darch Lener. We've mentioned then that there were also certain Svarim that came out from Ga'inim, Rishainim, that, from manuscript that had they got Ha'aris from Darch Lener. Not only that, his children, his son-in-laws, they were, his son-in-laws, they were also into this, and they were icing it. We, we mentioned this, but a letter that was printed in Yeshurim, um, where he wrote to, actually to the Dikduke Seifrim about is there in the libraries, you, Dikduke, you author of the Dikduke Seifrim, Rafal Nassim, Nata Rabinovich, you go to libraries, you're in libraries, are there any manuscripts that are worthwhile to publish? And he writes back to him a list of a few different Chiburim that he knows you could get. I, I, some of them I even have, I could send them to you, and it's Kadai to put out. Um, so we see here the Archoner asking him if there's something to do. He's so we see it's common and it's a list of seven, eight things. Anyway, um, and we said his Talmud, Rebbe Zriel Hildenheimer, he ends up going all out with this and also publishing a lot about this. Now, but that this is all showing that he's interested in it, he's using it. But what does he use this for, in his own personal writing? So there's a truva that. Um, Shem Zalman Hevling quotes, Rav Moshe Bleich in his article on the Sugi of the Manuscripts also. There's a tshuva the Binyan Sin, where he writes as follows. He has a tshuva. There's a Ravid, which is bringing down a Ravina Haigain. And it, it seems that even it's, it's past and Shulchan Aruch, but it seems everyone's not clear how to understand this Rav Haigain. And based on a new manuscript of the Chuvas Againim that just came out then, says Rav it's clear that it was a misunderstanding and he and through that he paskins halacha lemaisa in a hilchas nida shaila um, like this new manuscript. So it's brought as a proof. Oh, here we see how strong, how far it's not just an intellectual conversation in the journal to print it. He's willing to go even halacha lemaisa. And the point is that his journal, but it's not only in his tshuva. The point with the journal is this journal was being read by all rabbanim across Europe, not only in Germany. From the writers, we could see it was a very popular journal. People were sending in articles as far as from Yerushalayim. So this was a much more common thing than we realize. Okay, that's uh, the second ha'ara um, of for today. Okay, fascinating. So go back and listen to that shir on the Aruch Liner for a lot more information on the Aruch Liner. You discussed last time very dramatically for your style, having a tiv traveled from his yeshiva in Volazhin all the way to St. Petersburg 
to track down manuscripts on the Shiltis, and then he put out, um, you know, his Pirush, we did it, put out his Pirush on the Shiltis over Vachoigoy. Maybe get into that a little bit more and discuss why was it so important for the Nitziv to be able to track down the Shiltis or Vachoigoy. Was he only concerned about Vachoigoy? Was he concerned about other guy? And was that something that was going on in that time period? They fill us in and open up that sugya for us as you proceed. Okay, so now what's interesting is like this. I'm not the, the, the as, as you asked, is that last week we made it all dramatic. So what's the, what does it so see so significant in the, in the shield, in the right of parish, Hamish Shaley ends up devoting years on this work. Um, it's published over a period of seven years, but it's clear that he worked on it for a long time. What did he see in this work that was so important? So before, in order to really even see the significance for our greater story also, I like to just back up for a minute. Up till now, we're discussing about Rishonim. And, and it's clear already we're starting to see a picture is emerging that a lot of Rishonim are coming out from the late 1780s and onwards. Till, our, till, till as we speak, even this week, stuff comes out. So... W- that's Rishayinim. What about Ga'inim? What's the story with Ga'inim? So interestingly enough, if someone was a, a rabbi in 1760 and he wanted to go build himself up a library, he's about to build a library in a shul, whatever, his kailo, and he wants to go get Svarma Ga'inim, he, you'd be shocked to hear there's nothing. There would be nothing for him to buy. There were some items that were printed, and the list is so small, it's, it's mind-boggling when one see, hears the list. I'm going to say the list, not in exact order, but it's very brief. There's a Chibur called Hilchas Psukais, very important work in the world of Gainim. It's published in 1516, and then it takes centuries till it's published again. It's so rare that even in the 1880s, when um, when someone else who was working on the Gainim, Rebbe Dr. Hakavi, which we will get to eventually, Dr. Hakavi, he got a copy from his friend, the Diktukai Seifim, who had a rare library to use it. And it was very, it was very important for his work in, in Gainim. The Hilchas, this is taking us to the 1880s. It's not around, but in the 1516 it exists. It was printed. The Hilchus the Halachas and the Shultis, they're printed in 1546, 1548. Now, so you'll say, okay, but we see, who needs them? The Beis Yosef has them. Interestingly enough, the Natsiv already points out that the Beis Yosef didn't have it for the most of his work. When he's working on, the, on his work, his massive work, which is incorporating Dozens of sources, uh, legendary, as he writes in his Agdama, all the Rishayim that he had, he did not have a Shultis for most of his work. He does quote Shultis most of the time. It's through Shani, through other sources that Rishayim had the Shultis. But as the Beis Yosef himself, he says that w- at one point he does have it. Well, why? Because basically it's printed in the middle of his work, the Beis Yosef. Um, so, so even the Beis Yosef, who's a key figure in the rest of the story, where many people use Svarim through the base, through secondary sources, through the Beis Yosef, the Beis Yosef himself didn't have this work. Same thing with the Halachas Gedolos. Seems he got it very late in his work, so he didn't use it through primary sources. The Mekachu Memkar and Mishpatei Shvuas, these are works printed in the 1600s, and then it's gone, not on the market until when 1782. Rav Amram Goyen, say the Rav Amram Goyen, very important for davening and Archayim, and so too Rav Sadi Goyen, these are Chiburim quoted by the tour, we show them have it. The Rav Sadi Goyen only comes out in 1941. Rav Amram Goyen, for the first time, it comes out in 1865, and even then it's not complete. What about Chuvis? Chuvis, there's virtually nothing. There's a Chuva Sefer printed that has some Goyenim in 1575, very rare, very unclear what it even has to do with Goyenim, and then there's nothing until the 1780s. 
eighties, seventeen eighties, a Chuvas Harif, which is a dar uh, that has the uh, print out. We call a Gainim, even though he's not a Gain. He's he's right the first first generations after the Gainim. The Rimagash, his Talmud, also come. This is seventeen ninety one, and then you have seventeen. Then you have um, eighteen o two, Shari Chuva of the Gainim, and a little earlier in seventeen ninety two, Shari Tzedek. So we're talking about a handful of works. Bechlal, if someone wants to learn Gainim. Now, but when you learn Shainim, you see Gainim are quoted all the time. But as if someone wants to see the prime text, you don't have it. Now, part of the story which we said came out through the Ramban, the significance is, is when you see the context of something, you could understand it much better. We we showed how just in one simple little example, Rebbe Sazal Meltzer shows that if you the Ramban, the way it's brought down the Ran in five lines versus the real Ramban, how it's brought down in the Ramban's own Chibur, where it's three pages come out, and all the give and take, it, it it changes everything. It makes you be able to understand everything much better. So so, but, but the point is that all these works of Gainim. They didn't have it. It's only starting in 1780s. Now we actually have an episode where, we, which will be eventually put up, will be put up where we deal with a little bit where this came from, the, how the Schultes, the work in the Schultes in the 1780s, where this came from. Rabbi Shire Berlin slash picked his work on the Schultes, what it did. But fast forward to the Nitziv, 1860s, and he goes and as you said, he goes to go. He he wants to go get some of the Gainim stuff. Now, what's really out there? A few volumes, as we just mentioned, because only let's say five or six of these things are printed in before he's working on it. Now, just to backtrack, the Vilna Gain. What about the Vilna Gain, who the Nitziv is very into also? So so that so interestingly enough, randomly I come across this Biragra. He's talking about a makar for a Rambam, and he's tell he sends you to the makar. The Rambam is none other than the Mekachumemka. And when's the Mekachumemka printed? I just mentioned it's printed the first time it's printed is in 1602. But that's pretty weird. That that's pretty rare. Then the 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 edition that it seems that he he must have been using was. Uh, it, seem, it, seem, it seems that he was using this very rare edition, which is a Chiddush Niflet, but it's not one time. A few times in Chayshish Mishpat, he used it for the Rambam Bechlal, he had this rare work. So the Gra had at least one work of Ga'inim er, early on. Okay, now, but so the, so we see something, there's some a little connection, which is clear with the with the Gra and the works of Ga'inim, whatever he was able to have. Okay, fine. But now let's just jump ahead. What about Ruchayim Kanievsky and all this? I just gave a whole list of Svarim. So Ruchayim Kanievsky, interestingly enough, we've mentioned a little bit in the past, but in his one thing is we have a list of his library. And a list of his library, so he throws out that he, he um, we're going to discuss some of the list, some of the items that he has. But basically, in his Svarim, let's say Kiryat Melech, he uses You'll see him using Rav Amram Gain, Rav Sadi Gain. He's using the Shiltis all to help with the Rambam. He's using it Pechlal as a Rishon and Derech Emunah, as, as another Makar. He's using it Tziv Zemek Sheila. He uses Chuvah Sarif all the time, so much so that he even worked on, he had manuscripts of the Chuvah Sarif, which we don't have, from a Yid, Rav David Rochtin. Rav David Rochtin was a huge expert in the Rif, and he was working on publishing a bunch of Chuvah Sarif. He did print one, one volume in a pamphlet, but sadly he died. He was a great perfectionist, so we still don't have all his work on it, but Rav Chaim worked on it for him. We know this how through the videos I mentioned in season one of Tiger, where we're, we're and Rechaim Kinesky quotes Chuvas Harif Miksav Yad. So he's quoting Rechaim Kinesky is quoting manuscripts even not not just that he's using stuff printed. He's quoting manuscripts. He told this to this Tiger that he worked on it for for Rothstein. He was paid for it. He says 
and in Kiryat Melech, a bunch of times he quotes Rambam, Makairis of Rambam through the through the Truva Sarif. Okay, great. Now, but, um, and we see him. Kesheder, he 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 knows Chuvas Arif, Chuvas Rimagash, which is also very important in understanding Rambam, because there's also Masayra. He's a Talmud Arif, who we are explaining has to get us back to the Gainim. But okay, Rukhan Kriyevsky understands the significance. But what is the significance that he sees? Okay, you want to say answering up Rambams, but is there more to the story that the Nitziv he was so that was his main concern that he's running to go be able to answer a Rambam? So the answer to this question is found in. The Natsivs the Natsiv asked this question pretty much, and he explains what is going on. I've already mentioned many times that a lot of times, if you want to understand why someone wrote a safer or insight and behind the safer, you don't have to read the safer some only. You could sometimes his introductions. Introductions are a key to understanding what's going on in the mind in the Mechaber. A lot of Mechabrim, at least in the olden days, they gave you through their introductions insight into what their goal was. Specifically, the Natsiv who, even though he's very famous today as being the Rosh Hashiva of Alajan for almost 50 years, and he was a tremendous god, but we still have not been Zaycha to penetrate the greatness of this person. He was a direct link following in the, in the footsteps of the, of the Vilna Gain clearly in all his works that he did. And one of them is the Gainim. I already linked just a few moments ago something a little bit with the Gra and and actual works of Gainim. There's also a possibility with Chiltus and the, and the Bahag, the same type of story, but, so what's the Natsiv doing? So the Natsiv says, I'm fascinated with the Shultis, and he writes three Hagdamas that are, it's its own Hebrew, it's called Kadmas HaEmek, where he explains, you get insight in his whole Mahalach, he ends up using this material that he comes up with in this Kadmas HaEmek, the unbelievable Kayach HaChidosh that he has over here. You see his how he's dancing through Kala Tarakula, literally, he's dancing through Bavli, Yushalmi, Midrashim, everything to create Tanakh, to, to basically create his worldview that he ends up creating. And, and this he follows through with his writings, his writings in, of Himek Davar, his writings on, on Sifrei, Bamidbar Dvarim, where he writes an extensive parish, and etc., etc. Now, so what is it, what does it have to do in the kind of same? What does he tell us about the Shultis? So here he he basically says, why did I why was this so important for me? So first, in his first his first Hagdama, which is called Kadmas Emek Arishain, eventually was printed even as its own safer, but it's found easily in the Hemek Shale in the beginning. So he basically lists out the greatness. So in general, I, I have to say as follows as a preface. The Natsiv is very, writes very cryptic. Even though he was an expert in the Hebrew language, he writes like this on purpose. And a lot of times, the more you read it and the more you understand it, um, you'll be able to understand it more. And I've been learning through this Hagdama for, for, for years and years and years. And literally every time I pick it up, I'm able to understand a little bit more what he means, not to the fullest. It, just, it happens to be it was translated into English, but I, I, haven't ab- I wasn't able to pull out my uh, copy. It's buried somewhere in this room. Um, but anyway, he so he talks about this, and the way he talk, I always feel when I say over in Tziv, especially in Hagdama of the Kadmas Emek, I'm never doing justice to it because it's so. In a few cryptic words, he he really means much more. So I'm saying that as a Hagdama to to some of. The, I'm just going to pull out a few brief lines, and it's funny is is because this is really what he even holds of, of, li- of writing Belush and Kitzer that the Rishayim wrote Belush and Kitzer, especially the Ga'inim, and somehow you have to be able to pull it out. But anyway, he says as follows. He says that, um, for example, he's talking about the greatness of Gainim. So he says, 
Rabbeinu Tam, in a Sefer Yashar, now which Sefer Yashar? Obviously the Sefer Yashar that we just got finished saying was printed, and also in the last episode was just printed, so he's also using it. We see with great respect how he, he learns up a particular piece in, in Bahag. That's what he says. But then he says in another place, he's mamish, argues on the Bahag like nobody's business, like, no, no, like nothing, nothing doing. Similarly, he says, we find the, um, with the with Shiltis, at one time, Rabbeinu Tam, Mamish, gives it, calls it Reish Lagainim. But then, in the sugya of Davish Enimuskavin, he argues on it like it's nobody's business. What's going on here? He says, I already showed that the Shittas Aruch. where did the Aruch get it from? The famous Aruch that everyone always talks about in the sugya of Tzikresha and everything. He says he got it from the Shultas. But Rabbeinu Tam, what's going on here? At one hand, you show unbelievable respect. You have unbelievable titles for, for these Chiburim, the Bahag, the Shultas, so to speak. But other times not. Then he, so then he, he digresses and he says like this. The Rambam got from the Messiah, from his father, Talmud Arimagash, the Kabbalah of the Gainim. And every Girsa found in the Gainim, every Mila, every word that was in Shultis and Bahag, and the riff even, he picked up on. He, he had a Messiah of everything what's going on. And therefore... He was able to, he, he writes Kiel, that he was oimid on Mamish, everything, and he had a Messiah from the Gainim. And even though, um, he and he basically, he'll be able to pick up from them and learn everything, even from what they didn't say, what they did say, and ha- how they did it. He, okay. Now he says like this, he says, the, and then he starts talking about the Rambam in general, as opposed, he compares it as opposed to other Rishayim, and how Everyone, it's known that they, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out Pshat and the Rambam. But because they were they didn't have the Bahag and the Shultas, so much so, he says, even the base, which I quoted earlier, even the base Yosef didn't have the Shultas, so they're missing a key step in understanding the Rambam. The Rambam is bringing a whole Messiah, preserving from Gainim. Now it's known, the Rambam says a lot of times openly Gainim. But but it's more than that. It's mamish a pesach kadol in a whole world thing that that doesn't exist because we don't have it. You know, he says, of course, the print they didn't have it. They weren't zeicha, um, and they got plenty because there was a lot of other rishayim. There's Rashi and the whole Tysis and all these rishayim. They got plenty. No, no he's not he's not shalom attacking anyone or saying anything. But there was a certain thing that they're missing because they didn't have it. Now he goes on and on, and 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 he says unbelievable things. How he's miyash of different things about it. But but in short, um, he he then he says that he was zeicha to um to spend time working on this Hebrew. Okay, great, fine. I'm still not answering um, why he chose to do this. So he says basically like this. Uh, he's talking about himself. And he says is that I spent time learning Mechilta, Tyrus Kehanim, and Sifrei. And I saw how deep it is in helping one understand the Gemara. Obviously also Midrashim, Bechlal. Um, and, and he spent a crazy amount of time on this. And everyone knows that the Lashayness of these Chiburim are very, very hard to understand. And he spent years mastering it. 
So in order to understand this, he also was fascinated with the Bahag, the Rif, and the Shultis, who also wrote Pekitzer. And through his sensitivity that he picked up through learning the, the, the Midrashi Halacha, and in Bechlal Medrash also, he was able to be aimed on through the kits, the unbelievable, sophisticated kitzer had lashon of the shultis, what he felt he's being maramas, and he held this as a schus. He spent years working on this. Now he says, Be'etzem, at this time, what's interesting is like this. At this time, he didn't print his parish on Sefer. And there's even a question why he didn't. But the point is... That and it's only came out much later and it's its own story. But what happens is is that when you're when we're looking, we're we're, we're looking back, says the Natsiv that I, I wasn't even gonna print my parish on Shiltis because I, it's not I'm I'm still have plenty of years to go. It's is eighteen sixties and Natsiv dies in eighteen nineties. Why should I be publishing this work that's that's so sophisticated? Basically, what happened is he copied part of it for his son to look over, and he sent it to him, and it seems it almost got lost. So then he got all nervous. You know, it could be this work that he spent years on working on, it's going to get lost. So then they rent and published it. But he said, of course, I can make mistakes. He talks all about that. It's his own discussion. Anyway, in the next Hagdama of his called Kadmas Eimekasheni, he goes on and on where he, where he discusses that there's different types of chiburim, and there's chiburim that he calls ma'asvim, and there's, chibur, um, there's chiburim that are in, in depth. When he, when he talks about, um, he, he talks about that the, um, that let's say even the riff, if the, the um, he basically, in short, uh, I said, as I said, I, I hate to, I really hate not giving a proper, um, quoting every single line and every single to, uh, unbelievable what he pulls out from here, but basically is that he he says is that there's so much going on when you have these works, what and if you're holding the sugya and you're so midactic and everything, what they do say, what they don't say, it ends up being a pesach to understand so much more in learning. So the Natsiv, who was beyond sensitive to all this, and as I said, he spent years, um, he, um, years and years of learning and learning. And when he, it's interesting is when he published this book, uh, the 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 the, the when he publishes it, he has a skama from who the Raddal. And as the famous story goes, they say they say the story. There's different parts of the story, but in short, his father-in-law. Son of the way they say it is, you know, he had a son-in-law. He sees him sitting and learning, but he didn't really know. Um, um, is he so something so special? Um, and the, all different stories of 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 of, of um, about the Natsiv, which I think half of them are baloney. Um, but anyway, but the point is, what happens? How does he find out about? about his greatness of his son-in-law is through his, the Radal. The Radal doesn't give any askamas, but he has a close relationship through letters. They actually, I believe, I'm pretty sure I was able to confirm they did meet maybe once or twice. But by the, the Radal says, by the way, send regards to your son-in-law. He's like, huh, son what? You have connection to my son-in-law? And then he ha- then he finds out, whatever. And then, and Lamaisa, when the, when the Hamik Shayla comes out, it rocks the world. Because as I said, it's unbelievable, unchartered territories. Here's a man who's a Rosh Hashiva, he's busy. And he's putting out a work on Ga'inim, being medayik and called Tag Shabbatag, what it says, what it doesn't say. You have to know Aramaic, unbelievable sensitivity. You have to be holding in all the Rishayinim, all the Ga'inim, whatever he was able, whatever he had at the time. And he, and he does this. So the significance is, is that this is a, um, these these works were written with a Mayurdika Kitzer Lashen, and if someone is able to penetrate, and it says it could be he's wrong. Maybe he's even wrong, but 
there there is a significance and and what even as I, as he throws out Beis Yosef didn't even have it now the question you'll ask what about halacha lemaisa using this chibur we will get to Amir Hashem but he's using this work even at halacha lemaisa okay but I, I so just yeah, to, sorry just to, just to, to recap you know you said you were reading the different yes. lines there you asked what was the significance and um, correct me if I'm wrong is what you're saying is that Nitziv understood that for a Shlemus and understanding Kala Torah Kula, having a Shlemus and understanding the Torah, both perhaps for Halacha, but maybe even for Hashkafa and for every, just to have the understanding and the completion of Kala Torah Kula, you need to have right that piece of the Messiah that the Gaonim brought to the table that perhaps was missing. Is that what, that, really what that, you're saying? Yes, and but and the point is, if we have a specific sugya and all of a sudden you have a text of a Gaon, even though it's very bekitzer, but if you're if your mom is holding the sugya, all of a sudden you could if you. You could, if anyone was familiar, you learn a pasuk in Chumash and you see what the Natsiv does with the pasuk, and he shows how a drasha comes from it. So he does the similar thing with the Natsiv. Sorry, with the Shiltis, he does the same thing with Sefrei. It's an unbelievable system that he built up in seeing the sophistication. There was a method how they did it. There's a, as they say, method to the madness. So, so you look at a drasha, and sometimes you're looking in a Gemara. How does how do they see it? The Natsiv built a bunch of rules. Other people also built rules. So the same thing he held that in the Ga'inim, in their cryptic Lashon, there's so much more and it helps you understand the Sugya so much more. But that, that's it in a nutshell. But he says it's so, obviously so much better and where he goes with it, pages and pages about it. And as I said, he writes very short. So imagine if he's devoting a bunch of pages where he takes you all over. Anyway, but the point is there's a major significance for the Ga'inim. Um, okay. But but um, to to move on with with all this, so he does use this for Allah so We'll say that in short, but that, but we're not going to go into that right now. So now, what happens? The Nitziv does this with Gainim. Is anyone else doing stuff with Gainim um, um, at this period of time? The answer is there's dozens. Not there's a nice amount. I would say a dozen or so different chuvas collections of works of Gainim are coming out from all over. For example, um, the Archlaner mentions that he's passing based on something. Okay. We're not going to go into a complete list. If one wants to see a write-up about the significance of these lists, a little bit um, in Rachmil Brody, one of the world experts on Gainim of today, in his book on the Gainim in Hebrew. So he does discuss the various aspects, the pros and cons of the various works that were coming out. Okay, but, but basically what's happening is from the 1860s and onwards, small works come out here and there. But the problem is, which is very simple, is that when a work, how do you know you're learning a sugya and Gemara Bamatsiya Davdalid? How do you know if there's a piece in the Gainim? Going to remember, you're going to know that there's a chuva, there's a chuva of a guy that talks about it. So, obviously, not so many people are running to use it. Okay, fast forward to a yid known as Ramesha bin Yam Levine. We've quoted him, Bam Levine, he's referred to. We've spoken about him a few times. We've mentioned that he, a work of his, a few times in various episodes in, on the Masechtis, which is Eitzer Gainim. So, who is he? What is he? And what, how does this relate to continuing with our story? So the answer is like this. He's a born in 1879, dies in 1944. And around 1898, he becomes very close with Ruf Cook. And he's close with him until Ruf Cook dies. Now, a lot has been written about him recently. There's a nice article from a, a Jew, Asaf Yedidya, and he also has a book, Bikoret Muvukeret, where he has a whole chapter about him. And he does, the, um, similarly, there's an excellent book on Ruf Cook, talking about Ruf Cook until 1900 from... Professor Yehuda Mirsky called Towards the Mystical Experience of Modernity, the Making of Rav Cook, 1865 to 1904, where he also has chapters where he discusses the relationship of Rav Cook and Bam Levine, as he's known. Now, what does Bam Levine do? So basically, Bam Levine 
starts in 1906 working on the Gainim. Okay. He starts with the Geras of Shuryagain. Now, we've also mentioned in one or two episodes the significance for Jewish history and the document of the Geras of Shuryagain, which thanks to Art School now is an English translation to it. Just today, um, someone brought over to me a new edition. Um, Rabbi Rabinowitz brought over a new edition that just came out yesterday or today from Meister Cook, Igaris Roshirigain. It's an edition of his that he put out before. Um, but Bekitzer, who was the first person that really did intense work on Igaris Roshirigain, this was Bam Levine in his, as his doc. This was his doctorate. Eventually published as a book. The book, when it's published, is dedicated to who his Yedid Rev Cook. He moves on, and he moves on to start working more and more intensely on Ga'inim. He's grabbed a close Talmud of the Darius Rishayim. Anyway, um, and today it's interesting. Not so many people know him. However, interestingly enough, on the other hand, Eitzah Ga'inim was just recently reprinted. So someone's buying the set if they if they bought it to reprint it. Now, what does he do? What's so significant for our story? One of the things he does besides tracking down new materials of Gainim is he takes the materials that are in all these publications that are being printed and all these new discoveries and he puts them up the Seder of the Daf and the Masechta. So he's making it much more approachable. So let's say you're learning Daf Nidaram and you want to know if there's a piece in the Gainim Daf Beis and you want to see what the Natsiv saw in them so you can at least pull out it's a Gainim. Most of the volumes or all the volumes are in Hebrew books. Anyway, Bottom line is he makes this all available. He he puts out twelve, I think it's twelve volumes, and it's a mapecha for those that care about these types of things, making it available. Now, after he dies, there was attempts to continue. Um, someone sent me a letter a while back that Yaakov uh, Nachum Epstein and Simcha Asaf wrote to Shol Liebman to maybe help um, public, get funding to pu- to continue this amazing worthy project. Okay. Interestingly enough, I'm looking at my computer about about Bam Levine and this project. I come across, or Dessler writes a beautiful letter back in in nineteen in the early 1900s about Bam Levine that he was talking in London, and he went to hear him, and he and he talks about his um, his project Bichlal very very in a very positive light. He even talks about a lecture that he heard from him. Anyway, um, but the point is that he was a he was a as I said. He was very close. He was very under the influence of Rav Cook, very close to Rav Cook. Now, what's the significance about this? But before before we get to this, just this will also fine tune back to what I was saying: what the significance of the Gainim Bechlal is, and what Rukhain Kanievsky, who's also using Isaac Gainim Kaseder in all his writings, he uses it all the time. What are they seeing in here? So, as I quote many many times, I quote from. Seifrim Vesfarim from Rishlemi Yosef Zevin. These are three volumes of book reviews of Zevin. Zevin devotes, I would say, 70 pages, Kamat, on the Ga'inim. He reviews one, two, three, four, five, six, six volumes of Eitzah Ga'inim. In each one, he pulls out fascinating chedushim, showing how, how different pieces help for Lamashal. He says, oh, the Var of Ram had a certain Shailah. Oh, if he would have opened up the Aitzagayim, he didn't have the Aitzagayim at the time, whatever, but Var of Ram was actually also pro these types of stuff. Anyway, he, he goes on and on pages talking about the murder significance, um, um, helping understand new questions, stuff that there's no, that the, the Achreinim handled, all types of things, and he, and he gives, and what significance of Rebbe it's not just talking about, oh, that there's such a thing if you use this material. He gives you many examples through these 70 pages, a very kedai now, of course, going back to the Rambam, we keep on mentioning it. The Rambam, this is a very key, helpful source for the Rambam. So Zavin points out, yeah, of course. It's also very important for Girsais. There's tons of Girsais going to be found through all this. Anyway, as I said, Rabchaim Kanievsky is using this throughout. 
Um, okay, now Rav Cook continuing with the with the Gainim and Rav Cook. So Rav Cook also Chuvas Arif comes out at that time. Someone asking for Askama, and Rav Cook writes Aris even for it. And we see also Rav Cook showing oh the significance of the Rif backs with the Rambam. Rabbi says Al Meltzer and his Aris on the on the Chuvas Arif is the same type of thing. So these Gedolim they're happening that there's a lot. The, the intensity, a text of a gain is very, very important. Now, Rav Cook, referring to Rav Cook in a letter um, um, which he basically outlines a whole Mahalach Halimud to a, a Rabbi Yisrael Parat, he also discusses one of the many things is important to know and use the literatures of the Gainim. Rav Cook, not only, as I said, was the Rebbe, he wrote very beautifully two essays about the Gainim and and he had different interesting shittas about Gainim Bichlal he built up, which is building off of his, who, who, what's the whole connection over here? Very simple. Who is he a Talmud of? The Nitziv. Very, very kedai to see is that the Nitziv, um, in the 1880s, they wanted to publish a, um, they published in one of the, in a journal called Knesset Yisrael, different write-ups of different people. So they asked Rav Cook, to, they asked the Nitziv, write up your, your life story. So Rav Cook, the Nitziv wasn't doing it, but he said, to, he told his Talmud, Rav Cook, write up my life story. And he, and so he does. It's an incredible essay. And in there, he also emphasizes the galus of the Nitziv, talking about his chiburim, he talks about his work in manuscript, he talks about the shiltis, how he, how significant gainim is for him. So it's clear is that the influence of Valajan, the Nitziv, had an impact on this Yid, who we know as Rav Kook, who had an impact on Bam Levine, who was one of the one of the made one of the major major impacts on in the field of Gainim Bechal Adayim. But I just conclude with one last stickle, one last piece that relates to all this, and that is there was another person possibly that also might have influenced Rav Kook in this in to be pro manuscripts and Gainim also, and that is his father-in-law, and then. Tragically, after his wife dies, he ends up marrying this person's niece. Uh, yeah, niece. And that is the Adderes. The Adderes, who is worthy of numerous, numerous podcasts, but we have Rachmanis. Uh, just there was a Yid Adderes, one of the great Gedolim of Lito, who ends up coming to Yushalayim, be, being the Rav in Yushalayim, until he dies in the early 1900s. Anyway, the Adderes, who was known for being prolific and writing Svarim of all types, all genres, and all... and um, all things. So, number one is that in general, the Adaris Lamashal, the, the Rash Mishan, Samsachim, was printed from manuscript. And they have a Chibor that it seems somehow the manuscript of the Rash Mishan made its way to the Adaris, and he wrote a whole Chibor on it, and it was published a bunch of years back. Another story that relates to New Rishayim is the Uraim. The Uraim, interestingly enough, we, the Uraim, most people did not have a Uraim. What's the significance of the Uraim? So if you look in the Askama, in the in 1804, a Uraim was published, and it was published as a beautiful Askama from who? Um, Rabbi Ephraim Zalmargolis. Rabbi Ephraim Zalmargolis outlines how Chashev, he's one of the G'dayle Talmidim of Rabbeinu Tam. So we ha- he even says that he's the Taisis Yishanim on Adarim. But anyway, the point is, he's one of the Balea Taisis. So Alachic Hebrew of his is going to be very important. The Beis Yosef did not have a Uraim. Okay, so now they published the Uraim. The Uraim gets published a bunch of years after the Beis Yosef finishes work. It could be even after he dies, but pretty much there's the Uraim out there. But it's not published a million times until 1804. Turns out, in the 1890s, someone goes ahead 
and finds out that there's a massive manuscript of the Uraim and the work that was published in 1804 and the, and the, and the late 1500s was a kitzer mamish. It's not the real work of the Uraim and it's much, much more. So what happens, like all the rest of the stories, so 1890s till the early 1900s, this fellow puts out, an based on the manuscripts, an intense in the Kapirish on the, uh, he puts out the text of the Uraim for the first time, not published, and then in the cars. Who does he get ours from? The Adaris. The Adaris describes in, that in, he got a hold of a copy of the, of the Urim, and he wrote Horus on it, and then tragically, um, it seems that parts of it were lost in a fire, that he lost most of his farm, which he describes in his, his an incredible autobiography. Bottom line is that he wrote Horus, and he gives this fellow the Horus, and then gives him a beautiful Haskama also, and the significance of the Urim. Bottom line is this material comes out. So we see just these are two small examples, we can give him many more, that Adaris is into new Rishinim. One more example, tying the Tegainim, is that, and this will conclude, is as follows, that um, there was a Yid, Dr. Akavi, which we'll discuss more about him soon, but he started publishing in one of the journals, I think it was called Yagdal Taira, different pieces of Gainim that he was discovering. So he wrote, does anyone care about this? This was mostly a journal about Taira. So that Deris writes Avada, every piece of information you could tell us from Gainim is Kedai to publish and publish. So here we see this is in the 1880s. So I'm, all I'm showing is, is that the, the Rev Cook, who some of his greatest heroes and influences was that Deris, who he kept up with Mamish even after his wife dies, he, he becomes he's his nephew now through marriage, because he married Adaris's twin his daughter, and they keep up, and he even wrote a book about Adaris after Adaris dies, and so to the Nativ, these influences him, and this triggers with, with the Eitzar Gainim. But to conclude for today, is that we see here, this whole thing of Gainim, it ends up sparking a whole world, which a Yidim Bnei Brak, that was just Nifter, was on and used Kaseder in all his Svarim, something that you will, in many yeshivas, even if they do have some of the works of Gainim, if they have a set of Aitz Gainim, and if you go to Beis and you pull it off the shelf, you'll see the layers of dust on it. They don't really appreciate it. It's very hard to, the truth is, it is very hard to appreciate, even with the new discoveries that they're doing. Some of them are written in Aramaic, and all different reasons behind it, but bottom line is, these big, the, the superstars did appreciate it. The Nativ, the Hulu Vuhulu, and including Rukhain Kanyeski, who uses a Kaseida throughout his works. But Amir Tashem, in the next episode, we will continue um, to get somewhere closer to the end of our journey with this story. Okay, fascinating. So, as you said, next episode will continue to, I guess, will continue on the journey to complete the picture correct, correct, of this topic. Correct. And um, maybe we'll have to start, you know, figure out some kind of contest. You know, if people could start um, sending in their their guesses. You know, who Rabbi Brutz top five heroes are um sometimes they change right. here and there but it's something to think about um we've got to figure out like a nice contest for this anyway till next time thank you very much